every town has its mysteries. Ask anyone about the place they grew up, and they'll surely have a story to tell. We are a people of stories. Often the lore we create, rooted in truth and seasoned with fiction, lives on and on, long beyond our lifetimes. It was a Monday. I knew the day before me would be long and chaotic, but I was excited. We, my husband and I, had planned to take this little adventure over the weekend, pushing my deadline almost to its max, but because of a home remodel that would never end, my already stretched deadline bled into the next week, which meant I would have to do this alone. I should have felt stressed because what I would normally do in a week, I was about to attempt to do in a day, plus some. But I wasn't nervous or stressed at all because I was about to do my favorite thing, go on an adventure. I got up at dawn, took in the beautiful moments of the sun glinting on the lake. I went on about my routine of oatmeal, my favorite morning show, and getting ready for the day. I grabbed my sack roots bag, my thermos of coffee, and my camera and headed out the door, relying on internet directions to take me right to the location of my exploration a bridge over the Choctahatchee River, where an infamous hanging took place 155 years ago. I love these days, when I can get away from my computer and out into the world. Even better, I got to jam to my playlist, one in particular that day, my selection of Southern Gothic, and despite the rattling of a busted speaker, a consequence of another jam session, the mood was set. Curiously, An orange slice of a moon hung low in the sky and followed me all the way there. It felt a bit eerie when I'd occasionally look up and notice it on my hour-long drive. Like things were out of place, and not how they should be. Or maybe it was just a reminder that darkness was never far from light. I don't know. The swerving country roads guided me through times past, Countless houses in ruins, metal roofs peeled back, walls caving in, and lonely chimneys speckled the surroundings. It wasn't until I passed my great-grandmother's house, slowly being swallowed up by the earth, that I realized this story hits closer to home than I'd like. Suddenly, a large white truck sped around me, even though I was going slightly over the speed limit. It had a sticker on its back windshield of three crosses on a hill. Just like the South. Drive like hell, but praise Jesus on Sundays. I passed a road sign that read, Slow Church. And a sign beside a house built in the 30s or 40s that read, Free house to be moved. Not to mention the many, many chicken houses that are the spreading cancer of the southern landscape. It was sad. All of it the slow death of something beautiful. I hated to see my beloved roots fade to this. But I drove on, focused, committed to uncovering the story of Bill Skeeto, one I'd heard since I was a girl. When the GPS alerted that I'd arrived, I don't know what I was expecting. A sign, some type of memorial, maybe even the name of the bridge to be in memory of the man who died there? But no, nothing. I pulled into a nearby park that looked nearly abandoned and more than a little spooky even in broad daylight. 
After driving around for a few minutes and not seeing much, I decided to brave walking around a bit. Of course, I had my pepper spray, but a lot of good that does someone who's chasing a ghost. But that's when I found it. A small plaque that read, The Hanging of Bill Skeeto, and went on to tell the story that I will soon tell you. You see, one cold December night in 1864, Miss Sarah Skeeto, sick and waiting for her husband to return home, would face a brutal, icy truth. Her husband was dead, and the people who swore to protect the county's citizens were to blame. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. But before we discuss the truth, let's hear a little fiction. The crunch of leaves woke her from her daydream. She glanced up through the open window and squinted her eyes, looking for movement in the thick woods surrounding her house. Psst. She heard someone whisper, You ready? His voice reached her before she could make out his face. With only the security light on the corner of the house to shine on him, he looked like a slow-moving silhouette. Yeah, she nodded her head, even though she wasn't sure he could see her. She peeled her legs from the linoleum chair and slung her hand-me-down bag over her head. The memory of her last conversation with Mallory, her slightly older cousin, who never let her live it down that they were poorer than them. And worse still, she had to wear all of Mallory's old clothes. Like your bag, Mallory had said once. Anna pushed the memory away and ran through the doorway, screen door squealing and slamming clothes behind her. You better be good, her aunt's voice trailed after her. Anna nodded, like a promise to herself that night. She would not do anything she'd regret in the morning. The bonfire flickered in the darkened sky. John's arm rested around her waist as they stood in front of it, a pile of limbs next to them. Some friends from school laughed as John's older brother, Mac, brought out the beverages from a white styrofoam cooler. John poured the amber liquid in the red Solo cup and handed it to her. Anna's mind was already wandering. This wasn't her scene. She knew that, and worse, they knew it. Soon, they'd be calling her out, pushing her to be more like them. This sort of thing seemed to happen too often lately. She brought the cup to her lips and sipped, cringing a little when the drink burned going down. Y'all know what happened here, right? Mac asked, eyes wild with mischief. This is where they hung that preacher. Mac sat down on a nearby stump and leaned forward. A long, long time ago. My mom told me about it. He's like a legend around here. Anna knew the story. They all did. Everyone who lived in Dell County knew about Bill Skeeto. She whispered to John, I'm going to get my purse from the car. John nodded, and Anna walked the beaten path back to the place near the road where they'd parked. She snagged her purse and started to head back when she heard something behind her. Everything all right? A man asked. Goodness, you scared me, she said, holding her hand to her chest. Forgive me, I just don't usually see young women around here alone at night, the man said. He looked strange, she thought. His white shirt and coat dirty, and his trousers were made of some sort of woolish material. Much too hot for that. You live around here? 
she asked, curiosity getting the best of her. I suppose you could say that. He feigned a smile, handsome in an old-fashioned sort of way. Oh, well, she clutched her purse and started to walk away. The man did too, but in the direction of the river. After letting him get ahead of her a few paces, she trailed behind, stepping carefully so he wouldn't notice. She wondered who this man was and why he was there. She didn't remember seeing any houses for a good ways, and because of the river's erratic flooding, she didn't think anyone lived nearby. The man trotted a worn path. The trail went deep into the thick woods surrounding the water. She could hear the steady stream in the distance. Humidity caused sweat to bead and drip down her back. She curled her thick hair around her hand and pulled it over her shoulder, allowing her neck to breathe. As she dodged a few wayward limbs, she somehow lost sight of the man. Her heart sunk into the pit of her stomach, her breath quickening. Had he saw her? She made the final push to the river and looked in both directions, thinking that she'd surely see him. When suddenly, there, from an outstretched limb of a tall oak, hung the man she'd seen, the one she'd followed there, his feet limp in a hole in the sand. She screamed, and it echoed down the hollow river path. She ran through the woods as if someone were after her. When John finally found her, she could barely get the words out. There's a body by the river hanging from a tree, she exclaimed. Mac shook his head. You've just seen the ghost. William Skeeto Sr., better known as Bill, was a Methodist preacher from the small town of Newton, Alabama. The story surrounding his death has become one of the most well-known ghost stories in Alabama. Why, you ask? It turns out that the minister was charged for desertion of the Confederate Army. During the Civil War, Dale County became lawless, and sometimes the people were ruthless. Though hard to imagine now, the nearby forests contained many deserters and unionists. The citizens created their own guard to help protect themselves from these invaders. The home guard was led by Captain Joseph Breer, a lawyer from the area. He had served in the 15th Alabama Infantry and even was captured at Gettysburg. After being returned home, he continued his service as the commander of the Home Guard, or the Buttermilk Rangers, as locals called them. Their mission was simple. Capture and punish all deserters for treason. There are two versions of Skeeto's run-in with the Guard. One of them suggests that Skeeto offered papers, saying that he hired someone to serve in his place. But the Guard didn't believe him. After all, he was a minister, probably not a wealthy member of society. Besides, the Confederacy had already repealed its substitution laws in early 1864. To muddy things even more, some argue that no records have ever surfaced that Bill Skeeto served in the Confederate or state military, but the memorial sign combats that and says that he served for three years. The other version of the story by historian David Williams in his book Rich Man's War suggests that Skeeto was aiding a man by the name of John Ward, who was the leader of a group of deserters and pro-unionists. 
Ward was a wanted man. He'd killed a Confederate officer and shot a member of the Home Guard. Breer, the Guard leader, was hell-bent on retribution to stomp out all traitors amongst the great people of Newton. And even though no hard evidence ever connected Skeeto to the riot, he was destined to meet the wrath of the Home Guard. Legend goes, Bill was detained on December 3, 1864 as he crossed the bridge over the Choctahatchee River in North Newton, rumored to have been on the way to purchase medicine for his long sick wife. He was dragged by the Home Guard to the nearby woods, beaten. And then the men threw a rope over a post-oak limb and slowly shimmied the noose around Bill Skeeto's neck. A friend of his pleaded for the minister's life, but to no avail. Breer asked Skeeto for his last words, and the minister asked to pray. Instead of praying for himself, though, he prayed for the people who were killing him. You may be familiar with the passage in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, in which Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's been said that he warned the men that if they killed him, they'd never forget this day or this spot. This only further ignited Breer's rage, and he tightened the noose, sending Skeeto's body into the air. But Skeeto was a large man, both in stature and weight, and the limb bent. His feet reached the ground. The men hurriedly dug a hole around his feet, and Skeeto eventually succumbed to the strangulation. Since that fateful day, the hole has become the real mystery. I first heard the story of the hole that wouldn't stay covered when I was probably around eight. And since I was traveling through the sites, I decided to have lunch with my parents and ask my mom, who is a Dell County native, when she first heard the story. And she just said that she was really, really young. Hard to remember. I've heard several renditions of the tale over the years, but the gist is always the same. The hole that the home guard dug to account for Bill Skeeto's height was still there. For years, this 30 inches wide and 8 inches deep hole never went away. Locals have covered it with everything, ranging from trash, dirt, and debris, and all the things in between. But the hole refused to be covered. It was as if a member of the home guard was sentenced to redig it over and over again sometimes being completely redug within hours of being covered up. There was a natural explanation, though. Mary Fleming, a Newton local, knew all about the hole, having seen it on numerous occasions. She said that after the war, one of Skeeto's friends by the name of Wash Reynolds secretly kept the hole cleared, but blamed a supernatural force. Possibly in an effort to put fear in the still-living men who had killed Bill, or maybe it was just to keep Bill's memory alive. But Reynolds denied this claim. In 1979, a bridge was constructed over the site of Bill's lynching. And later, in 1990, after flooding concerns, Bill's hole was finally covered with tons of rock. Now the site is gone, and no one can see the infamous hole. But the site is still talked about amongst curious youngsters. Skeeto family members and Newton officials have erected a monument there. People are still wondering about the truth behind the legend. 
In fact, it's still a popular place for visitors and even paranormal investigators, I hear. Ask the locals about the story, and they'll tell you about the Methodist preacher. They'll tell you how he came home from the war to take care of his beloved wife and ended up paying the ultimate price. The most haunting thing is, according to legend, Captain Breer was out riding his horse and was struck by a fallen limb. Another member of the guard, the one who supposedly dug the hole, was found dead in a swamp, and one died after being thrown off his mule. In short, the men of the home guard, responsible for Bill's hanging, reportedly died prematurely and mysteriously. And I've even heard that people have reported seeing a man walking alongside the road in that area. It's all a little unnerving, right? But it's sad, too. After I left the site, I traveled about 15 minutes to visit Bill Skeeto's grave. It felt only right to pay my respects after spending the past week or so researching him. I was surprised to pass my aunt's home while traveling there. I haven't been there in a long time, and suddenly memories and ghosts of my own past emerged. My grandfather restored that house to its original condition all by himself when he was in his 70s. My great-uncle had lived there before they owned it and loved to collect old things, things that held memories and secrets of the past. I had a vague recollection, a photo in my mind, of a tiny set of overalls that belonged to some toddler long ago, still hanging on the clothesline. And then there was the memory of writing my grandfather's death notice, a product of being the writer in the family. My mood had shifted from adventure to melancholy. It was all hitting too close. I turned the long, narrow road out in the country. I drove until the pavement ended at the small white church. I pulled in, half nervous and half somber, and went looking for Bill's grave. There, in the middle of the cemetery, stood a tall and weathered headstone that read, William Skeeto Sr., son of John and Anna Skeeto, born June 8, 1818, died December 3, 1864. Our dear father, gone but not forgotten. I couldn't help but smile a little because of how true those words have been all these 155 years. Even now, now that the legend can no longer be seen, people are still talking about the Methodist preacher who left this world too soon. Driving home, I switched my music and listened to Storyteller by Haunted Like Human, and it fit. What had started as a ghost hunt had uncovered some old wounds and some poignant truths. All of our stories are both beautiful and haunting. May none of them ever be forgotten. Fabled was produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles. For more about us, visit fablecollective.com. And be sure to say hello on social media at Fable Collective. If you enjoyed this story or any of our other podcasts, please be sure to leave a review or a rating. They really help people take a chance on a new podcast. 
As always, thank you for listening. <laughs>